We give ourselves every possible reason to ignore Jesus. In the entirety of the world, we give ourselves every reason that we can find to detach ourselves from what Jesus actually says. From the things that Jesus has actually called us to. From who Jesus has actually asked us to be. Called us to be. We've done it with much of the scriptures. We have done it with the Beatitudes. When we hear words like meekness and we say that is the spiritual concept alone. We've done it with the fruit of the Spirit. When we see that Jesus calls us to compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, self-control and the others. We've done it with the concept of sexuality, with the idea of gender, with what the Bible says that marriage is. We've done it with the concept of depravity as a whole. We give ourselves every reason in the world to ignore what Jesus actually says. We love to give ourselves an out to not wrestle with what he has told us to wrestle with. To not surrender to what he has encouraged us to surrender to. How in the world does this happen? It's because our deceitful hearts find sin in everyone and everything but ourselves. Now, the last two Sundays that we gathered together, we had this great opportunity to hear from Greg Baker. He does our fifth and sixth grade, fifth through eighth grade ministry on Wednesday nights. And he preached the passage where Jesus tells a demon to leave a man, actually, multiple demons to leave a man. And then we heard from, from Josh Dawes, who did the welcome earlier last two weeks ago before Servolution. And Josh shared with us as we, how we see the story of Jesus interacting with the woman with the issue of blood acting with Jairus' daughter. We uh, have come together today to look at what Jesus says to us in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus leaves Mark chapter 4 and chapter 5, walks away from the resurrection of a young lady, the healing of another, the cleansing of a demoniac, the calming of the storm, and we see Jesus leaving these spectacular moments and going back to where he came from, going back to his home. Read with me in Mark chapter 6. Picking up in verse 1, we're going to go 1 through 13. He left there and he came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom that has been given to him? And how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary? The brother of James, jo Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Uh, aren't his sisters here with us? So, so they were offended by him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Among his relatives and in his household, he was not able to do a miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. He was going around the villages teaching. 
He summoned the twelve, and he began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a staff, no bread, no traveling bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on an extra shirt. He said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place does not welcome you or listen to you, when you leave there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out. And they preached that the people should repent. They drove out many demons. They anointed many sick people with oil and they healed them. Country music likes to tell us the same story in different ways. In that way, it's sort of like the Bible. You feel free to tell your friends at lunch today that I said that. Tell them you learned that. Uh, when we look into certain songs by guys like Kenny Chesney, years ago he would sing a song about back where he came from. Uh, there was another song uh, recently that's really popular about having some famous friends by Chris Young and, and Kane Brown. When we look at this story of Jesus, he is returning to his hometown, yet the reception that Jesus gets is not one where they view him as the life of the party. As a matter of fact, they view Jesus as a problem. Because Jesus enters into their experience and they are not expecting him to be who he actually is. Jesus in this passage will remind us that he is the very life of the kingdom of God. And where Jesus happens to be, that's where the kingdom is. Where Jesus is, the kingdom is. The problem is the Nazarenes, they don't want that. There are always stories of going home and being known and loved, but that's not what Jesus gets here. He left there, came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. He's there in the synagogue, there about to teach the people, and as he is about to teach them, the interaction that he's going to have with them is going to befuddle them, confuse them, overwhelm them, and cause them to have numerous hesitations and considerations and honestly, under-their-breath conversations. The synagogue plays a central role in the life of a Jewish people. When traveling, to, if you're going to go to the synagogue, it's this part of day-to-day -day life. Teaching, gathering, interacting with one another. Whereas the temple was a place where you went to celebrate. It's in Jerusalem. It's where you went to celebrate festivals. To this day, the synagogue for the Jewish people is a place of prayer, instruction, and community. Both in Israel and wherever Jewish people happen to live. Similar to his presence in the temple, Jesus is going to visit the synagogue regularly. He taught there. He gathered there. He even healed people there. And Jesus here is going to go into the synagogue and teach. I think there is something that we can understand as we examine this passage. Though, When we really look and see that Jesus, the true temple, is going to immerse himself in a part of the Jewish people's everyday lives. That Jesus does not want the idea of celebrating him to be separate from everyday, common interactions where the people happen to gather. That Jesus would show us in this passage that where the kingdom is, that's where he is. And if we are going to be people who live in light of and in line with Jesus, we would realize that where the kingdom is, where the people of Jesus are, that's where we see him making himself known. The reading from the law was a preset. So you have a man like Jairus that, that Josh taught us about just two weeks ago. Jairus would establish what the order of worship was and there would be a given reading from the law. Yet another person would come. And this person would teach from whatever prophet they chose to teach from. It wasn't a, a pre-chosen reading. It was something that they walked in with. He could choose any passage that he wanted. 
So Jesus shows up in this passage. And when the Sabbath came, it says in verse 2, He began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard Him there, they were astonished. Where does this man get these things? Why is He saying these things? How are these words coming out of His mouth? The corresponding accounts of this from Matthew and Luke tells exactly the prophet that He happened to choose. He chose the prophet Isaiah. And in Isaiah, it reads this. This is believed to be the text that Jesus teaches here because Matthew and Luke align with it. Jesus stood in front of these people and said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when Luke tells the story, what he lets us know about Jesus who has just stepped in front of these people and made these, this, that when he finished, Luke says that Jesus rolls up the scroll, he hands it to the attendant, and he sits down. And Luke, this phrase is used by Jesus. This is the whole of his teaching. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus has just said to those who he has grown up with, those who he has lived amongst, everything that you have just heard me say from the prophets, that's about me and that's where it's a shock to the system. Isaiah 61, if you're unfamiliar, that's okay. It's a culmination passage. Isaiah has been building to Isaiah 61. When we look through Isaiah, when we get to the latter chapters, in chapter 52 and 53, we see this about Jesus. He is the servant who chose to take punishment for our sin. We also see this about Jesus, that he is the warrior, this prophesied Messiah. He is the warrior who has broken the power of sin. Finally, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 11, 9 and chapter 11, we see that Jesus is the king establishing a kingdom of peace. So Jesus says all that has culminated in what I've just read to you, it's found in me. The servant who would take punishment for sin, that's me. The, the warrior who has broken the power of sin, that, that's me. Jesus is the king. I'm the king who's establishing a kingdom of peace. Jesus has just said this to a people who don't have any understanding as to who he possibly could be. Because he, for them, has just said, all that you've been promised, the fulfillment of this, it's found in me. It would be as if today we will take communion. Spoiler. When we take communion together as believers in Jesus, we take the bread and we say this is his body broken for us, symbolic of what God has done for us in the death of Jesus. When we drink of the cup, this is his blood shed for us. It would be as if I walked you through communion and at the culmination of it, I said to you, that is about me. Run me out the door onto Dixie Drive. Get rid of me now. Because that's not the point. But for these people who are hearing Jesus, who have been interacting with Jesus, who are seeing this person that they watched grow up, that's exactly what he's just said to them. Think through what it means for those who, who do not recognize Jesus. Think through that what it means for them and what it means for us today, for those who do not recognize and know the person of Jesus. They stand in opposition and in antithesis to everything that has just been said through the prophet Isaiah. Those who are outside of Jesus dwell in a kingdom of war where you are punished by the power of unbroken sin. 
Jesus in this passage has just declared that all of the promises of God, they're standing in your midst. So when he sits down, if he'd had a mic, he would have dropped it. And they are thinking to themselves, where is this coming from? Why would they think that? His social status would not have allowed for him to be this guy, but he just rolled into town with 12 disciples, albeit fishermen, in their Magellan and Columbia shorts, rolling in. They roll in. The people who are watching say, well, what do we have here? Who does he think he is? That's literally the way that it would be expressed. Where is he coming from? He, his social status would not allow him to be a teacher of the law. But he's a carpenter. And in the words of King Jimmy, carpenters begat carpenters. Carpenters give birth to carpenters. Jesus can't be that. On top of that, it makes reference to him being a carpenter, but it refers to him as the son of Mary, which means that there is a tad bit of a question as to his legitimacy, if you know what I mean. Is he really trying to be this? He has low status among people. He is a manual laborer. They are very, very confused by this Jesus. This isn't the first account of Jesus showing up in his hometown of Nazareth, though. Earlier in Mark chapter 3, we see that he has an earlier visit, and when he gets there, his family and friends, they want to seize him. They think that he's crazy. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem said that he has a devil in him. By the prince of demons he cast out demons, which still makes no sense whatsoever. If they'd had social media, they were posting vague observations. They were in the direct messages. They were letting everyone know, this man who claims to, who is saying that he is the Messiah, he's actually just a carpenter son, and we're not even sure if his daddy's really his daddy. They didn't just whisper. They didn't just start whispering. They've been whispering about Jesus. Could he really be what he's claiming to be? Can he really do what he's claiming to do? He's just a normal person. So they get outraged and frustrated with this Jesus because this Jesus has just said to them, I am everything and no one wants to hear that he is everything because that means that we are not. For the rest of Mark... The entirety of the rest of the book, synagogues are the only seen as places for Jesus of persecution and, and hypocrisy because they continually push against him. Now, the town of Nazareth has 500 to 2,000 people, more than likely the size of a, a, a larger high school. And if everyone is in the same place, they know everyone's business. Everybody knows everyone's business. So they're all whispering about this Jesus who's just rolled in with these random men. They knew Jesus, but they did not know Jesus. Eugene Peterson says it this way, and I do appreciate this so much. He says, when Jesus rolls in and begins to talk, the people begin to whisper, who does he actually think that he is? They believe that Jesus saw himself as more special than they believed or, they des or that he deserved. Mark is always talking to us about who Jesus actually thinks that he is. Verse 4, a prophet's not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. He's just shown up. No one wants to accept him because this is where he's from. He's just a commoner, everyday guy. We, get a, we were going to eventually get an account of a, of a dishonored prophet. It's the very next thing we see in the, in the Gospel of Mark. It's John the Baptist. But Jesus just preached this message. And preaching's a weird thing because it's, it's super intense. N.T. Wright says this, Preaching is something dangerously public that emerges from something intensely private. Jesus is just giving this message 
preaching is such an odd thing. I've been doing it for 15, 20 years now, and it's still uncomfortable at times. It's a difficult process because you just never know what people are going to do. I learned what my children did when in the midst of the COVID, we had this situation where we had to have a few weeks where we recorded messages because, you know, Jared and I, we like to record videos. That's exactly why we did it. We just like to make movies. We would pre-record them because doing them in person on the internet that is Xfinity in the year of our Lord 2022 is not okay. But even the pre-recorded videos, when they're on the screen, my kids are watching, and it would freeze up. And when the video would freeze, whatever my facial expression happened to be, my children would all go into that as if they were pantomiming me. I worked so hard on this text that you're ignoring. Jesus is preaching this intensely, intensely dangerous public situation. They could kill him for this. I had a friend in high school that I still talk to from time to time. These are the things that his dad says about me when he found out that I was a preacher. Chad? Chad Poe? I, I, I can't believe that he's a preacher. Even if he has three doctorates, I think he'll be playing video games in the middle of the night. Thank you, Dale. In this passage, we see Jesus preaching a message to people that he grew up in the midst of. And they don't want anything to do with him. A celebrity who they did not expect to be a celebrity has come home. Mark says it this way, he's not able to do miracles there. Except that he laid hands on a few sick people and he healed them. Verse 6, he was amazed at their lack of faith. They're referring to him as this man. Who is this random man? Now there are lots of questions about the phrase that he was not able to do miracles. Matthew says it like this. He did not do any more miracles there. It's not really about power. It's just a matter of fact. He didn't do miracles. He does not override the wishes of people. On top of that, even in every other situation, people have brought people to Jesus to be healed. And here in his hometown, no one's bringing people to him because this is just a carpenter. We don't even know where he's from or what he's talking about. They did not see Jesus for who he actually was. They did not want to do anything to do with this Jesus. Because this Jesus was claiming to be something that they could not ever align with. Contradictions are are the strangest thing. I I read a quote by um, Emerson the other day. I shared it on multiple of my social media accounts. And he, he says this, Let me never fall into the vulgar mistake of dreaming that I am persecuted whenever I am contradicted. People loved it. I got so many hearts, so many likes. I think I got that huggy care thing one or two times. Why do you care about Emerson? You don't know him. They went, then I went on their pages and it hit me. My progressive friends and my conservative friends were coming together. They were coming together not around the quote, but about the fact that no one really believed that this could actually be about them. That they may be the person who believes they're being persecuted because someone disagrees with them. Jesus has just made an announcement to these people and they want nothing to do with it. 
Think about the kingdom announcements of Jesus that we've looked at in this passage. From Isaiah chapter 61. Think about how we align our lives with these kingdom announcements of Jesus. That Jesus is the servant who, took, who chose to take the punishment for our sin upon himself. Jesus who serves those who are far from him. As you evaluate your life in light of that truth about Jesus. Do you interact with those who do not believe in Jesus as if Christ actually cares for them? Or are you interacting with those who are far from Jesus as if your condemnation can condemn any more than them being condemned already? Jesus is the warrior who broke the power of sin. Do you find yourself yelling in disagreement about things that, don't really, that you don't really control with your volume? Jesus is the king who has who's established the kingdom of peace. Are you waging a war that Christ came to undo? We are to wrestle with who Jesus actually is and not who we have perceived him to be. Not who we have made him to be. As if Jesus only agrees with us. And honestly, and I've said this in this room in a similar way multiple times, if your variation of Jesus always agrees with you, thinks like you, talks like you, acts like you, walks like you, is you, then your Jesus is you. Jesus came in and they're talking about him being a carpenter. And make no mistake, he can actually fix things, but he's not just building houses. He's not just stonemasoning and carpentering. He's come to establish an altogether new kingdom. It's the mission of the church to point out to the world in which we live that it's headed the wrong direction, yet there is hope. And whenever we divorce the hope of Jesus from the direction we're pointing to, then we're moving in that direction as well. The people of Nazareth could not do anything with the sea who he actually is. Moving to the passage, from that point forward, we see that Jesus sends the disciples out two by two, like they're on an ark, to people who are not going to see him for who he is. Do you see the transition in the passage? They don't receive Jesus and he's going to send his followers to people who are not going to receive them because followers of Jesus are to be reenactments of who Jesus actually is. Mark chapter 6 verses 7 through 13. He summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a staff. No bread, no traveling bag. No money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on an extra shirt. It's interesting. These are the same things that Moses instructs the people to take with them when they leave Egypt. It's the same direction. It's the idea of an exodus away from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. Matthew and Luke, they don't even let you have a walking stick. That's why I'm a Mark guy. Chapter, verse 10, he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place, which I love. Just stay there until you leave. Cool. <laughs> if any place does not welcome you or listen to you, when you leave there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Shake the dust off your feet. Now, I referenced country earlier, so let me go to a different direction. Think about Jay-Z telling us to brush something off of our shoulder or Taylor Swift telling us to shake, shake, shake it off. 
That's what's just been said here. But it's more than that. It's more than you dusting off your shoes, moving away. It is Jesus saying to us that we should push against paganism. Why? Because the house that they happened to be walking into was in opposition to the kingdom of God. And historically speaking, the idea of brushing the sandal, the dust off of your feet was something that Jewish people would do when they returned from Gentile places. And Jesus is using this expression in this text to say, if you leave a place that rejects you, no, they're not just rejecting you, they're rejecting the kingdom of God. They're rejecting the kingdom that I've come to establish. And if you reject the message of Jesus, you're rejecting his kingdom altogether. It's the notion of a divide that we see here. Of a separation. I was on a Delta flight recently. And I was in row 10. For whatever reason, Delta counts their rows. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 10. It's terrible math. I needed to go to the restroom and I went to the front section. First class where they give you the the glasses and not that paper cup that barely wets your lips. The moment that I left, they shut the net behind me and buttoned it up as if to say, you are not welcome here. My wife said, Chad, they don't want your kind. So, (laughs) the disciples leave because they've been rejected, but they're not rejected for their sake. They're rejected for kingdom's sake. The doors that were put up against them were not doors against them that they would shout back at, yell at, fight with, be frustrated with. They were the kingdom of God people taking steps that say that the kingdom is at hand. And if you want to say no to that, then that no is on you. Twelve. So they went out and they preached that people should repent. Don't miss that. This isn't a coddling of people who are far from the Lord. The notion of repentance is a call to turn from whatever you were bound by and turn to something that is drastically better. The disciples are not showing up condemning those who disagree with them because honestly, as John says, they've been condemned already. The disciples are inviting them to respond to to the grand invitation of this king who has come to break sin, serve the sinner, and establish the kingdom of peace. And you're invited into that which is so much better. We as a church celebrate that when we take communion, that we have received the invitation of Jesus, that we have been invited into something that is so much better. We've been given hope by someone who is so much more hopeful than all of the hope that this world would provide. Jesus has invited us to this wonderful place where we can walk with him and know him. And the disciples are looking at this and they are thinking through what it means to be God's kingdom people with a kingdom mission in mind. Because the disciples... We're called to reproduce the ministry of Jesus. You see it echoed in what we've seen Jesus do in the Gospel of Mark and what he tells the disciples to do. So for us, as followers of Jesus, can we consider what that means for us? 
What it means for us to live in practical ways, everyday scenarios, not just celebration places at the temple, but synagogue situations, the everyday gathering, and for us to declare that the kingdom of heaven is really at hand. That the kingdom of God is so much more meaningful than anything else in which we may find our hope or our meaning. The gospel writers record these things in detail because they want us to know that the mission of God has been laid out for us. What is the mission of God for His people that He sends out here and that He sends out from here? Jesus in this passage is doing three things with these disciples as he sends them out. He's gathering support. He's giving an opportunity for these people to repent and respond to the good message of the kingdom. And he's getting them ready for what it is that may take place after a catastrophe. Would we see that Jesus has sent us as people who gather those who are apart from the kingdom and invite them to be part of it. While we give opportunities to respond to the kingdom message of Jesus, that Jesus has died in my place, that Jesus' resurrection is my life, that my death died with Jesus and my life lives with him. And he is getting us ready for what may take place when catastrophe strikes. Are we living as if that kingdom reality is present for us? That when life gets hard, we have a hope that is beyond this life. Our hearts are very much like the Nazarenes in that we do not see Jesus for who he actually is sometimes. Our hearts can be like those who reject this, king, this message of Jesus in this passage, this kingdom message. We continually push back against the idea that God would invite us to be making an announcement. And as much as I love the idea of us talking through biblical application, what does it mean for me to apply the Bible? Which apply, honestly, is a watered-down way to say obey. Would I never forget that God primarily has called me to announce that His kingdom is here? That the veil was torn in two, that Jesus' body was broken for my sake, that His blood was shed for my sake, so that the death that I deserve could die. And the life that he offers could be with me forever. That is the invitation Jesus gives to us. His death in my place. His resurrection for for me. So when we take communion as a church, thankfully we don't celebrate me. That would be a terrible communion. But we celebrate as a family that my death died with Jesus. And that my life has been given life by Jesus. What are we going to do with the kingdom message of Jesus? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? As our worship band gets in place, they're going to sing over us and Afterward, Jared is, is going to give direction. While they sing, before you jump up and go get the cup, as I like to encourage us regularly, could we just wrestle with the truth of what this passage says about Jesus, the King of all kings of all kings?
and ask ourselves, what does that mean for me? What am I doing with that? Am I being obedient to what God has called me to obey? Am I announcing what God has called me to announce? If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, that means that your death has not died with Jesus. Jesus invites you to leave death behind and walk in life with Him. So if you're here, I would love to talk to you about that. To think through things like, we need to say to Jesus, Jesus, I need you to deal with my sin. Jesus, I need you to be my hope. Jesus, I need you to direct my life. And if that's you, I'm going to be in my back right-hand corner of the room. I'd love to pray with you. I would love to encourage you. If, if you're a regular here, you, you know that we love you at our church. Mm-hmm. And if you would like to be prayed with, prayed for, we'd love to do that as well. But before we begin to move, if you're a believer in this room, you're invited to take communion with us, whether you're a member of our church or not. But if you're not a believer in Jesus, as we take of the cup and, and of the bread... If you don't trust Jesus, just could you hold back? Because this is us celebrating the life of the kingdom that God has offered us. Father, we trust you this morning and we believe that your word is true and good and full of hope. And Lord, there are times in my heart when I am untrue and I am not good and I am hopeless. But Lord, I thank you that I do not depend upon myself, but I depend on you. Lord, I thank you say that over every believer in this room. Would we see that in our hopeless, dark spaces that you are hope and you are light. So would you move in the midst of your people this morning? We ask all this in your powerful name, Jesus.